For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you know, not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the Lord, or with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please pour out your spirit upon the service tonight, and guide and direct my thoughts as I speak on this subject here for just a little bit. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit power and that you'd fill this place with your Holy Spirit power and presence. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. One of the what we would call Baptist distinctives is that we believe that there were two ordinances left by the Lord Jesus Christ for His people to practice. One of those being baptism, and we do not believe that the Bible teaches that baptism is something that saves a person. A lot of people get that confused. Of course, they think that Baptists believe that baptism saves. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. We believe that we are saved by, by grace through faith alone, and that it is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But, but the Lord challenged His people and commanded that if they were to be saved, then they would also be baptized as a symbol of their trust in Jesus Christ and also of a symbol of their desire to walk after the Lord and walk in newness of life. In order to be saved, we trust in Jesus. But that doesn't mean that just because you're saved, that now all of a sudden you're perfect. And so according to Romans chapter 6, the Bible says that in order for us to be, be baptized, we, are, we also need to understand the process of it and the purpose of it. The process, baptism or baptize, means to immerse. It means to go down in the water and come up out of the water. And the symbol is given that they are buried 
in likeness of his death and then raised just as Jesus was raised from the dead. You can't do that by sprinkling. The only way to mimic the action of being buried under the earth and then coming up out of the earth is to actually go under the water. And so that's the way the Bible teaches baptism and, and then it teaches the purpose in Romans chapter 6. And I wasn't going to get into that tonight, but just as a crash course here very quickly, most of you I know have learned this many times over the years, but we're going through it again. As a, uh, as a symbol of salvation, we get baptized to show that we've been saved and that we want to obey the Lord in what He's told us to do. But then also as a symbol of our desire to now walk in a new life that we want to leave that old life in the baptismal waters, and when we, when we come out of the grave of those baptismal waters, that now we are being raised just like Jesus was raised unto a new life, that we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so salvation and baptism, of course, are something that we believe strongly in as a Baptist church. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that there was one other ordinance, as we would call it, that the Lord left for His people. And I want you to look, if you would please, at verse number, oh, I'm going to skip around here. I'm not going the, in the normal order here. Look at verse number 26. The Bible says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, Jesus, when he took of the bread and took of the cup with his disciples, he said, As often as ye do, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't give a time frame. He doesn't give parameters for how often we ought to do it. Traditionally, or generally speaking, as, 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 uh, as I've pastored over the years, what, what, what I have done is we'll have an uh, Easter Sunday communion, and then on top of that, I don't feel tied down to a certain number of times a year that we need to have communion. I believe that it's good to have it more than just on Easter, but I'm also not necessarily going to say that we're going to have communion as a church, you know, once a month or once a quarter or whatever the case may be, uh, in order uh, for certain things to fall into place for the church and, and to continue to, to follow a schedule, because I believe that it loses its significance when it's a scheduled time and it's just a formality more than it is something that comes from the heart. And so we will have communion, but I don't believe that there's a set schedule. Jesus didn't give us a set schedule. He just said, as often as you do this. So you can do it every week, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can do it once a month, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can do it once a quarter, there's nothing wrong with that. You can do it once a year, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we will do it as I believe that the Lord leads and would have us to do it. Now, I want to, now that we've covered that, how often we do the Lord's Supper or, or, or take part in the Lord's Supper, I want to backtrack and go to the beginning of this passage where we began reading in verse number 18. So backtrack to verse number 18, and I want to show you something that the Lord has inspired Paul to address in the church of Corinth. Now the church of Corinth was a, was a very carnal church. They were full of sin, and they were full of carnal thinking, and so there are a lot of wicked things that are addressed in the church of Corinth and preached about and preached against. One of their most common issues was division. And they were divided over all kinds of stuff. You get into the first couple chapters and you find out that they're divided over preachers. Well, I, I am of Paul. Well, I am of Apollos. Well, I am of Cephas. And then some smart aleck in the church says, well, I am of Christ. <laughs> 
And I don't believe he was saying that out of a pure heart, genuinely. I think he was, from the way Paul addresses it, that they were doing it out of division. Oh yeah, well I'm more spiritual than all of you because, because I am of Jesus Christ and you're all a bunch of wicked sinners. You know, the church was full of division. And, and, and that even seeped into the way that they had the Lord's Supper. And I want to say this, and I want to be very, very cautious because we've had a great, great uh, morning service and a great Sunday school hour, and, and the Lord uh, really worked in the hearts of some people today. And by the way, I'm not surprised by a big fall off in attendance tonight uh, at all. It was wonderful to see such a crowd, but I kind of expected the faithful few to be back this evening, and I'm glad that you are. Amen. Now, they were even using the Lord's Supper as a point of contention with each other. And, and I want to say this, and I want to be careful how I say it, but this is not necessarily the context of 1 Corinthians 11, but it, it, it fits. Often, one of the greatest tools that Satan uses to prevent the church from seeing a movement of God and to prevent the church from having the Holy Spirit power of God is that he causes division. And I know I've said that before, but I want to repeat it. When you go through the book of Acts and you see the times that the Holy Spirit of God was poured out upon the church in the book of Acts and the great movements that, that, were, uh, that were seen there when people were being saved and, and great amazing things were happening in the church there in the book of Acts, as we see some of those miracles taking place, we also see that often, if not always, when the Holy Spirit of God poured Himself out upon those people and did great works, the Bible often says, and they were all in one accord in one place. To be in one accord means that they were in agreement. In the book of Philippians chapter number 2, the Bible refers to that, that we need to all be of the same mind and of the same spirit. We need to be in one accord. We need to be in unity with each other, and He addresses that regularly. Now, the church of Corinth was using even something as sacred as the Lord's Supper to divide themselves against each other. And after we saw a great movement of God, I, I listen, listen to this preacher please, and this is all I'm going to say about it. I believe that Satan would love nothing more than for people for some reason to walk away from the church service tonight offended or mad at each other about something or offended at this preacher about something, because we saw God do a great work today, and He wants to put a stop to it. And you mark my words, I've said this before, and immediately, immediately after church, a lady walked up to my wife at the piano, and said something, my wife was playing, she didn't have a clue what was going on, said something to my wife, and then walked back and said something to another lady, and before I knew it, there was a firestorm in the church, right after I made the statement that we had just seen God do an amazing work and preach an entire message about how God, how that Satan was going to do everything in his power to try to divide us and prevent us from having the Holy Spirit continue to work in our midst. The whole message is about that. And then somebody walked up to my wife, made a couple comments, walked back to another lady, made a couple comments, and before I knew it, a fire was happening. There were people in my office for the rest of the night mad at each other over something that happened right after church. And I looked at one of them and I said, don't you realize I just preached on this tonight and you're allowing it to happen? No, this isn't the same thing. Totally blinded. Totally blinded about what was happening. And I'm here to tell you that, that nothing that happened this, this morning has anything to do with this preacher. 
Don't put it on me. You put it on me, it'll die as fast as it started. It has everything to do with the Lord. And if we all stay unified under Him and in Him, God can continue to work in our midst. But the church of Corinth was so carnal, they would use the Lord's Supper, something as sacred as the Lord's Supper, to divide themselves. Now look at it in verse number 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Paul was shocked by this stuff. He says, I hear that there's divisions among you. Now of all of the things that Paul would be shocked about, don't you think it might have been that, that guy who was, who was in, in an incestuous relationship with his mother? Just a couple chapters prior? But when he stops and says, and I partly believe it, it, I hear shock in his voice. I mean, of all the things that are going on over there, I hear there's a vision among you, and I partly believe it. Isn't that interesting how that's worded? He says, I can't even believe y'all have got division over there. And then he goes on to express where some of this division is coming from. Look at verse number 19. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, of uh, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Could we get uh, the air circulating in here? It's getting warm. And uh, I won't be too much longer, but that might help us stay awake a little bit. If uh, one of you guys could help us get the air circulating, I would appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. So he says, look, when you come together, therefore, into one place, you're not coming to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, they thought they were... So, in other words, the church of Corinth is coming together to do what they call the Lord's Supper. Thank you, man. They're coming to, together to practice what they call the Lord's Supper. But he says, what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Okay? Are, are you with me? When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. He says, look, when the Lord told us to take of the bread and drink of the cup, you all are bringing, they're basically having a pitch-in dinner. Some people are coming hungry, and they're saying, well, I'm going to bring all my food to the Lord's Supper, and I'm just going to eat in front of those people that are hungry and don't have any food. They're using the Lord's Supper to flaunt the food that they have to eat it at the church during the Lord's Supper. Amen. And then... There are some among them who are coming in and getting drunk. I mean, if there's any evidence anywhere in the Scriptures that we shouldn't be using alcoholic wine, I think it ought to be pretty clear right there that you shouldn't be using alcoholic wine when you're taking the Lord's Supper. He says some of you are coming together and you're eating in front of people that are hungry and you're flaunting everything, and then some of you are coming together and you're, you're drunk and others aren't. I mean, what a mess this church is. <laughs> and then he says in verse number 22, what? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? He says, look, keep your food at home. This isn't a time to come and feast. This is a time to remember the broken body of the Lord, to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. What, have you not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? The church of God is the people. It's you and me. And he says, what, you, you, you despise the very people in your church that you want to come and flaunt before them that you, that you have food and they don't? Verse number 22, he says, Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. 
He's getting pretty punchy there. Now, this is all happening around this text that we often read for the Lord's Supper. <laughs> we, but, but, but we often just read basically verses 23 through 25, and we don't realize what the whole context of the passage is all about. And then he says in verse number 23, here's what the Lord's Supper is. Not what you all are doing, but he said, here's what God told me. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as, oft as, ye eat, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. So he just set him in order. He said, here's what it's all about. The whole purpose of the communion is for God's people to remember the death that he died for us. Verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, there are different philosophies, different opinions about what he means when he says those will, that there are some who will eat and drink unworthily. Part of it is clearly mentioned in the context. One, they're doing it out of division, not out of unity. It's what he just said. I'm not taking it out of context. I'm reading you what he just said. He's dealing with their division over the Lord's Supper. I'm thinking about saying something else, but I'm trying to be careful here. Lord, help me. We're going to keep reading, and I'm going to come back to that. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body. Now, what is the Lord's body? It's the church, right? We are the body of Christ. The church is, right? Now, the church includes those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith alone and have been baptized by immersion for the right reasons. Not not baptized by sprinkling so that you can hopefully get cleansed of your sins real quick with that holy spoon. Not, not baptized in order to be saved, but, but baptized into the body of Christ. And so the Bible says that those who are saved, baptized believers are the body of Christ. And so he says here that some of them don't even understand or discern the Lord's body. Who is the Lord's body? What is the Lord's body? Now, the Lord's body has not always been called Baptist. Sometimes it was Lollards, Waldensians. Um, before all of that, they were just called Christians. And we believe that there have always been Bible-believing Christians who have held to this book the way that it was taught originally. Not that they didn't have errors and not that they didn't have little schisms every now and then and not that they didn't have to be set straight. And boy, do we all have to be set straight on some things every now and then. 
but that there have, since the days of Christ, when He established His church, that He also preserved His church, and that His church through the generations has been the same group of people who have come to Him in faith and believed that His grace alone was enough, and they were baptized not because they thought they were getting saved, not because they thought baptism was cleansing them from their sins, but they did it after they gladly received His word and they were baptized. He says, now, some of you don't even discern the Lord's body. Verse number 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I believe unworthily, unworthily is one in reference to the fact that they were coming and flaunting their food and their drink and getting drunk, and they were living in sin and living in disunity, and they were taking of the Lord's cup in sin because they were in disunity, and they were drunk, and they were flaunting, and they were proud, and they were all kinds of things. Taking of it unworthily, living in sin. Secondly, I believe that they were not discerning of the body of Christ. And so, because they didn't understand what the body of Christ was, what it represented, how sacred that this action of taking the Lord's Supper is, that that was also the act of eating and drinking of the cup unworthily. Now, let's skip down to verse number 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now, there are some things going on here that are obviously and clearly of the Lord that I can't explain other than just what you're reading. That because there were some that were taking of the cup unworthily and, and eating of the bread unworthily and not understanding what the process was and they were supposed to be a saved, baptized, born-again believer, because they were taking of it unworthily, the Bible says in verse number 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That, that word sleep essentially we believe meaning death. Amen. So because they were, they were not doing things correctly with the Lord's Supper, then seems to me by... by any understanding that I have of this passage that God was saying, look, uh, I'm judging those that are doing this unworthily. Now that means that this is very serious. Now we look at verse number 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now wait a minute. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Okay, go back to verse number 28. But let a man examine himself. Verse number 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So what is he saying here? I believe he's saying that we need to examine our own selves and determine whether or not we are worthy of taking the cup. Are you living in sin? Are you living in disunity with other people? Are you truly a saved, baptized believer the way the Bible describes that you should be saved and baptized? And as a result, if you have examined yourself and find those things to be true then you have judged yourself. You have examined and judged whether or not you were in the faith, whether or not you were in unity, and whether or not you were clean with the Lord. You know, it would be really good if we would all judge ourselves instead of each other. Anyway, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged by the Lord. If you judge yourself, God wouldn't have to judge you. 
But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So God says, I set my people apart. If you're one of my children, I will judge you. I will chastise you so that you're set apart from the world and people can tell that you're a saved Christian and you're not going to get away with this. Verse number 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. There's that unity again. When you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. Why? Because I don't want you flaunting it in front of those that don't have any food. There's that unity again. That you come not together under condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. All right. Now, we've gone through the passage. And I want to encourage you to do something tonight. I'm not going to dismiss anybody from the crowd. I, I've, I've never done that traditionally. I, I, I won't do that. But I, I want you to consider something. Number one. Are you saved by faith? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If you have any question about your salvation and you take of the cup and the bread, I wouldn't recommend it. If you're not saved here tonight, get saved. Get saved. Are you clean? Are you clean before the Lord? Is there any sin in your life that if you were to take of that cup and of that bread, that you would be doing it unworthily because you're living in sin. Thirdly, are you in unity? Are you in unity? I want you to examine yourselves tonight. And I'm going to be examining myself because believe me, I need it. And I would strongly encourage you to do something. If you're not a saved, baptized, born-again believer, if you're not clean and you don't want to get right with God. And if you're not unified and you have issues with people in your life, in this church, I would strongly recommend that you not take of the cup tonight or of the bread. Strongly recommend it. And it's not because I think anybody here is better than you or more important than you, but because that's what the Lord told us that we need to take this very, very seriously. So we're going to take a few moments to examine ourselves. And we're not necessarily going to have a normal, traditional altar call. But as you sit right there in your seat, I want you to take a little bit of time, and we don't have to have any music playing or anything. We're just going to have some quiet time with the Lord. And I want you to examine yourself. Number one, am I saved and have I been baptized by immersion, the way the Bible describes it, for the reasons the Bible says? Am I clean? Lord, reveal any wicked way in me. And am I right with the people in my life? If you're not, I strongly recommend you get it right. And if you can't, in just a moment, we're going to pass the plates. And you don't have to make a show of it. You don't have to, you don't have to, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. But maybe just pass the plate along to the next person next to you instead of taking it with us tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please, please, Help us to be right with you. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that's lost and on their way to hell, I pray that you'd save them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, is there anybody here tonight that would say, Preacher, if I were to die today, I do not know if I'm on my way to heaven. God's been speaking to my heart. I do not know if I'm on my way to heaven, but I sure would like to know. Would you slip your hand in the air? I'd like to pray for you. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? 
We have some of our kiddos raising their hands. Parents, let's be aware of them. Dear Heavenly Father, if there is anybody here that's lost, I pray that you convict them of their sin and show them that they need to be saved.